bolt your windows. Lock your doors. Check your closets. Look under your bed. And then prepare yourself. For it's another episode of Dark Night of the Podcast. Whoa! so fucking excited for this specific episode and i just realized it within the last like 48 hours when i revisited the film the blob the 1988 remake of the blob um when i revisited it this is one of those films that um you almost like forget that like I, I I've seen it several several times now, but I forget how fun it is. And it has had me so pumped to record this episode. I'm so happy that we're just jumping right into it because um yeah, it, it's a fun movie and this is gonna be a fun episode with a fun guy. How are you, Troy? Hey, I am wonderful. Yeah, I watched this last night for the first time. Um you you popped my blob cherry. <laughs> That <laughs> some for some reason that brought an, a mental image that I wouldn't have even expected. But continue. <laughs> <laughs> no, I I want I I've seen I I saw like maybe ten minutes of this movie, probably twenty twenty five years ago. So I remember like I think I saw the scene I saw the scene in the restaurant that leads out to the uh, to the phone booth. And I always, re- I always remembered that particular scene, but I've never watched the whole movie. So yeah, I got to watch the whole thing last night and all of its gooey glory. Amazing. Amazing. And gooey is the word of the night at dark night of the fucking podcast. Uh, gooey, ooey, gooey, because this movie um, delivers in a lot of, a lot of areas. Um, being a specimen of the late 1980s, it is um, mainly one thing I know we're really going to get into a lot is some phenomenal practical effects. And so if you're a practical effects fan like myself, I can't think of a lot of movies when this movie hits it. I can't think of a lot of movies other than maybe like Carpenter's The Thing that deliver on such a scale. Um, cause when this movie, when the effects look good, they look great. Yes. Well, and I had read, um, on the IMDB trivia that half the movie's budget was special effects. And I think it definitely shows. Yeah. I was thinking it's very reminiscent of John Carpenter's The Thing in terms of pra- good practical effects. So I'm surprised, you know, I haven't really heard about, you don't really hear this movie uh, talked about a lot. Um, so I've seen posts in various horror groups that, that are talking about, Oh, which, which films have like the best practical effects. And you all, obviously the thing is always there. American werewolf in London's always there. You don't really see this film talked about it. Honestly, Roger, if you hadn't suggested this film to watch, to cover, I probably would have just never watched it because it's just never really talked about. You never really see it. So yeah, I'm glad that we got to that I got to watch it and we're, we're going to talk about it. But cuz yeah, the practical effects in this film are just insanely great, especially for the time period and it really makes you miss the days of practical effects. <laughs> oh, yes, yes, absolutely. Like um there's a there is a, we didn't even like start off with like an, an intro to this. I, I mean, I'm so sorry, but like I can't help it. I have to jump right into it because I'm so like into this film right now. Um there's something about just the uh, the tone that they chose with the, the, this approach to the film because it is a remake. You know, it's a remake of the 1950s classic starring Steve McQueen, which is a very specific tone. It's a very like lighthearted and um, like you know comedic, and um, it's fun and it's it's almost like you know for a horror movie, it's cute. It's a product of the times. This they they still kept like a sense of humor. Mm-hmm. about this film like it's still 
light at certain point times. Well, you know, the, the humor is smart. It's, it's like a wink, wink kind of humor, like the condom joke that they have, the ribbed condom joke with the father and everything. So it still manages to like maintain its humorous elements, but um, it's very like updated in that sense as well. Uh, Very much a product of the 1980s. And because of that, they do bring on a phenomenal, um, strong female lead who's very much stylized also of the kind of roles that were coming out around that time. You had like Savini's Night of Living Dead remake would follow shortly after uh, starring Patricia Tallman. And, um, you know, you also had Aliens with Ripley. And so now in this, you've got this character of um, Meg Penny, who's played by a timeless Shawnee Smith. Yeah. I, I love her. I love her in this role. I think she's so relatable. And um, underrated, if we're going to talk about elements of this film being underrated, you know, the effects, of course, underrated female lead, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. I was thinking the exact same thing, but we, and we'll get to that. We'll get to that. Um, but yeah, where, where, where do you want to start? You, we, well, we've dived right into the film, but is there anything you want to kind of, that's been going on you want to discuss before we really get deep into the film or are we ready just to go with the Oh, I mean, I'm sure you can hear it's the adrenaline in my veins right now. I am, I am really uh, feeling this movie, but no, yeah. Oh my God. I, I think that right now uh, things are like in, a really good place with like my film and everything. I guess if we're going to talk like more of like a personal thing and I know you can relate to this, I've been meaning to talk to you about this um, distribution for a film, the blob, the original blob was an independent, reasonably independent film. It was super low budget and it was Steve McQueen's breakout role, but it was super low budget. Um, and so like, it's one of those things I'm, I'm kind of going through like the experience of like, securing a distribution for my movie for rebirth i know you've been through that before and it's um it's a lot of work man it is it is i hope that you um do it or a little bit more particular about it than i was because if i could go back and and do things a little bit different with all of all three of my films distribution wise i probably would no, I'm not here to, you know, to bash any particular distributors, but I'm just saying I have not really been all that impressed with either distribution company and how they've handled the films. But that's just me. I mean, I, I was, you know, just so excited when I made Party Night, which was my first film. I was just so fucking excited that a company actually wanted it. So I was one of those, you know people that was like, Oh my God, there's a distribution company that actually I've actually heard of. I've actually seen their films in stores that want, that want my fucking movie, my first movie that I've ever done. So I just signed the paperwork. Didn't even think anything of it. Didn't do the research. And you know, they promised all kinds of stuff. And, and, and in the, in the kind of, in the meantime, I had made miss and they're like, Hey, we can pick up Mrs. Claude. At that time it was stirring. So I gave it that to them too. And so they got both of my films and yeah, I just, if I could go back and, and do things differently, I would just, just make sure you read the, you know, the contracts and stay on top of them. Um, because yeah, I mean, I, I haven't really had a very positive experience. And then I went with a, dis- a different distribution company with teacher shortage thinking, okay, well I'll give this one a try Yeah, because they had just partnered with a very well-known, um, popular horror site to make this like horror label from their particular distribution company. And it was going to be part of that and it fell flat. So I almost think if I were to ever make another film, I would probably look into self distribution. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's something that was discussed for, for rebirth. I mean, I guess it depends on like, if you're, if you're looking at making money from your film, I think self distribution is probably best. Mm-hmm. If you just because you're not, I've not got a, you know what? I'm not like I said. I'm not trying to bash the distribution companies, but I've not got a dime from any of my films, not not one penny. Uh, and I know, I know for a fact, like Mrs. Claus did really well, um, yeah. but yeah, I haven't got a dime. So if you're looking to make money from a film, obviously self distribution, I would definitely recommend. If you just want your film to get out there in stores, like in WalMarts, in video stores then yeah, you're going to need probably a distribution company. That's, that's 
you know, I can say the first distribution company I went with did get it in, in, in did get Mrs. Claus in Walmarts, did get it in family videos, did get it in, um, you know, stores. So yeah. And then, you know, the streaming services, you also really don't need a distributor to do that anymore. You can get them on those sites yourself, but I guess it just depends on what you want for your film. So you got to think that yeah. through. Yeah. 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 You know, I feel like I made a pretty solid choice and I won't stick on this forever. You know, obviously the, it, the whole thought of like the original blob spawning a sequel as uh high, you know, large budget. And it shows as, as this remake, um, it just very much got like, was like kind of my train of thought, like leading into this, the whole idea of just like the independent journey of getting a film, a small film seen on that scale, you know? And so um, I'm pretty excited. You know, I just want it to be seen and, and I understand that you're in the same boat. You want your work to be seen. And I know other people listening to this who create horror. Cause I think a, a portion of our fan base is, um, is filmmakers or fans of, you know, um, uh, it's a, it's a, it's a journey. It's a trying journey, but it's worth it. And I'm excited to see what the next few months bring. And I'm excited to see projects start rolling again. I've turned down a few projects cause I was paranoid of COVID and now I'm, I'm hoping things level out and we can proceed to make art, um, that is in, inspired by cinema as, as sophisticated in my opinion, as this film that we're about to talk about the blob 1988 remake. Um, and honestly, I, um, I loved it. I love it. I love it. Yes. Uh, I did too. Uh, how many, how many times have you seen this film? Uh, like, you know, like I said a little earlier in the sense, it's one of those movies, like I don't even think to revisit and I need to, I need to pay more attention to this film, I think, and celebrate it considering everything it brings to the table. Um, I need to celebrate it more as a fan. And I think honestly, just like the horror community in general needs to give this film a second viewing because overall, I've maybe only seen it like five or six times uh, all the way through. Um, and I really need to revisit it more. It's just, there's so much craftsmanship at play here. All right, well, let's get into it because I know you are so excited to talk about this. Film. I am too, because <laughs> I, I'm fresh off of watching yeah. it. So I'm ready to go. Yeah, yeah. So the Blob 1988 uh, remake of the 1950s classic, um, it was uh, co-written and directed by Chuck Russell. And horror fans, you're going to know Chuck uh, for Nightmare on Elm Street 3 Dream Warriors. Uh, This was his follow-up film to Dream Warriors. So this guy has obviously some experience because that's a fan favorite. I know you had said that's your favorite, right? I th- it's, okay, so yes, but entertainment-wise, it is by far my favorite Nightmare on Elm Street. I think the Nightmare, uh, the original Nightmare on Elm Street, is probably the best film of the franchise. But I would, I would always watch Part Three over the first one just because of the entertainment value of it. But I love, I love the first one. I love the third one. Um, the rest, eh, two is pretty okay. The rest of them, eh. But uh, yeah. So yeah, it was yeah. This was his follow up to that wonderful Nightmare on Elm Street three, which would be kind of fun to cover at some point. Oh, it's coming. I mean, and it's gay. The hair, the <laughs> the costumes, the teasing. Um, but yeah, no. So this is his, his follow up, and um, and honestly, like after working on a film with really like big sequences, it shows to me because like the build ups to some of the kills in this film are just like epic like they just are so well thought out and so like the build-up like and we're gonna visit it but like there's a sequence in a phone booth that's so like so well done and it just his eye for the craft especially within the genre really shows um and i see why this was a follow-up film to be honest after making green warriors yeah well the film starts with just you know a very picturesque small town i think it's supposed to take a place in colorado um and you get in, it's basically opens with a high school football game. And that's when you get introduced to the character of Meg, who is Shawnee Smith. She's, of course, she's the cheerleader with, you know, such a young, you know, Shawnee Smith. It was so cute seeing her all cute. Yeah. Love her. Love her. Yeah. And then the football player, um, Paul, played by, um, oh my God, Donovan Letch. Yeah. His, yeah. Mm hmm. Who, who I know from Cutting Class and other movies, but yeah, he was in Cutting Class with Brad Pitt and Jill Sholin. 
but yeah, that's the movie kind of starts just an all American scene and um, it's very picturesque, very relatable. Like I said, very all American. And then you kind of go into the, from away from the football game to the woods and uh, the character of Brian is there with his motorcycle. Yeah. And you know, you know, he's a bad, bad boy because he has like a mullet and a motorcycle and a leather jacket. The grandest mullet. It's such a luscious mullet. Yeah. And um, there is a, like a drifter, like a homeless dude that's in the woods as well. And um, yeah, they're in a meteor, a blue meteor crashes into the woods yeah yeah a few things together from like the the basics of like the opening of what you said of this like small town establishing this environment and everything one thing i already think this movie did really well right from the start is creating like that wholesome uh small town vibe like all of the characters the style um the the character interactions like i had said before like the humor that they have like it feels very like suburban and quaint and so when like disruption finally happens in this town um it's a really like well-constructed kind of chaos and uh it builds up and builds up but yeah the setting is great the characters are great everyone's pretty damn likable i think like the characters you just mentioned that were introduced to right away like i was saying i was singing her praises earlier in the sense of being like a you know, a female lead, but Shawnee Smith is great in this role. And the character of Meg is a fantastic female lead with some great sequences and she's phenomenal. And she has a rich, hearty scream. So (laughs) we kick off the movie with a really great tone and some really great characters Um, up to the sequence with the drifter, which is uh, really well handled. In my opinion, the introduction to the blob sequence um, it, it's just, it gives you a taste of what's to come, but, um, that whole sequence of the drift and everything where you first see the effect and all of that really, um, well, well handled, I think. And, it, uh, yeah, it's just, um, a really good introduction to what the villain is going to be. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And I, like I said, I do appreciate the, just the whole set, the whole, um, setup of the setting of the film. Um, you know, like, just like, like you said, small town USA and you get the whole scene, you get the scene before, I believe the, before the meteor crashes with the, with the cop, the sheriff and the restaurant, uh, trying to ask the waitress out who's played by the magnificent Academy Award nominated actress, Candy Clark. I have that same fucking note. (laughs) Academy Award nominee. Yes. Candy motherfucking Clark. (laughs) And we love her. God, it was her character's named Fran. Franny. Uh, a small but memorable role. Deserved more in this film, I think, Candy Clark. Deserved more in her career in general, but she was in Cherry Falls. I was just going to say that. Thank you. God. <laughs> same brain. Same gay brain. You went from the blob to Cherry Falls. <laughs> but yeah, um, <laughs> she is amazing. Yeah, she's really good. And so you just kind of get this small town set up because only in a small town would the fucking sheriff be trying to ask the waitress of the local diner out. I mean, it's very Americana. So, and then, yeah, you get the scene where the, the, the bright blue meteor crashes and the, the drifter kind of runs to where it is. And it's like this pink, like Pepto boiling Pepto Bismol. <laughs> The, <laughs> the texture of this blob is many a different thing throughout the course of the film, but it only kind of adds to it to me because it is not of this world. Like sometimes it's a straight up liquid, like what's going on inside of it. Like when you eventually see bodies floating and everything, like it's like liquid, but then there's other times where it's very much like, um, it has like a stretch, you know, like, a uh, it takes on like a plastic almost kind of look. And I think intentionally, like during some of the body melts and everything, um, it's just a really an effective upgrade from the original effect, which was literally, I think like gelatin on celluloid. Correct me if I'm wrong. <laughs> I think that... <laughs> In a Lego house. I mean, that's what it was like. Yeah. They took this and they ran with it. They did. They really did. Oh yeah, yeah. Because the 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 drifter goes and tries to investigate the the goo, and it fucking uh, it just att- attaches to his arm, it just like sucks his arm, like and just starts to go up his arm, and it's like disgusting, and it, ugh. yeah, yeah. So the um the cast uh find him, and, and they take him to the hospital. 
this all kind of builds up to the sequence where like um they you know they think that he's just ill but there's going to eventually be this reveal and and the reveal is pretty mind-blowing but as this is happening at the hospital there are a few little side story bits and pieces coming together revealing like tensions between some of the characters the two guys and everything and um yeah there's the whole scene with the condoms the buying the condoms in the pharmacy where um paul and um what's the other guy's name it's Ricky Paul Golden is the actor, but I forgot the character's name. You're talking about Paul, you're the, the character? The character, well, Paul is Donovan Litch, and then the other, yeah. his, his friend, I can't think of the character's name. It was the actor is Ricky Paul Golden. He's the one that buys the condoms and tells the uh, pharmacist that they're for Paul. Brian is mullet. Brian is mullet, but then there's the other one. Paul is the boyfriend. Yeah. Yes, I listen. Confusing, the, and it's confusing because of the way they structure these characters. Like what you think is going to happen, who you think is going to step up to the plate. Yeah, no, but I'm talking about I'm talking about the scene in the um, the pharmacy where Paul is there. His friend, his friend is also there. His friend is trying to buy the condom. Yes. Oh my God! I totally forgot. He's the one that's in the car sequence. Yes. Um, yes. Yes. Yes, yes. He's buying the condoms, and his um, the pharmacist. The, while he's while he's trying to buy the condoms, the preacher shows up, and this preacher is like just weird, like this. I don't know what his deal is. Um, and so when the he sees the preacher, he's the one that's like, "Oh, these condoms are for Paul. You know, that's they're for my yeah. friend back there. He's yeah. too embarrassed to buy them." And that that kind of is a little joke because it has a punchline that comes a little bit later. Yes, with the father, yeah. When Paul goes to pick Meg up for their first date and is introduced to her father, her father is the pharmacist. Yeah. So it was kind of a, a little fun, you know, um, touch of, of comedy that was, you know, uns, un, un, unsuspecting for this type of film. Yeah, the humor in this film, um, I think they did a really good job of preserving that vibe from the original movie. But like I like I said earlier, pres- you know, brought it to the 1980s. But like, there's lots of like nods and winks and that kind of humor. The the uh, one the the best friend uh, to the to the son, you know, her um, Shawnee Smith's little brother. Um, his jokes and his humor are very of that era, but it's very much like self aware, you know. So um, I really appreciated that tone that carried through the movie throughout the whole thing. Some of the kills even almost have like kind of like a weird sense of humor to them in a way as this progresses. But so you eventually come up to the sequence where they um, go to check on the drifter and they see him laying there and and, um, they pull the blanket back and he's like in an amazing effect. He's like dissolved. Well, yeah, because on the way to their date, they are when Paul picks Meg up, they're driving and the the bum actually runs out in front of them and they they kind of swerve and then Paul's there on his motorcycle and they all so they 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 get out and they see that the bum has their I call him the bum bum drifter, whatever. He has that thing on his arm. So they take him to the hospital Um, and that's how he gets to the hospital. And then like they're in the hospital in that. It's just so funny because they can see that this guy has this like thing that's eating his arm and that nurse is like such a bitch. She's like, what insurance does he have? Does he have insurance? <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> and then they go to check on him and yeah, he has like literally been like dissolved in half. Yeah. Yeah. And this is like a perfect example right now of like, I think the one thing when you talk about like defining characteristics that makes this film a standout piece of the era. And like I said, like totally overlooked, like this is the first time that you really get a good example of the kind of gore you're going to get in a film that I don't think a lot of people suspected this, uh, the blob remake was going to deliver. And I think maybe part of the reason it, it was like a box office bomb to start off with is I think like with the blob, you expect one thing and then you get like a super violent horror movie and pretty quick into the film, they started with, you know, with this sequence with this guy, cause it is graphic. It is. It is. is. Well, and then, and then what happens next is pretty graphic, but I, yeah. So they come in the, well, they get the doctor and it's so funny cause the doctor comes in and looks at this guy dissolved in half 
And he honestly, his reaction is like, he doesn't seem that concerned about it. He's like, Oh, what happened to him? And he just walks out (laughs) (laughs) and they like leave. Everyone's standing there with this guy that's dissolved in half. So then um, Paul, it's up to Paul. He has to go to call the, try to call the the sheriff, which you would think that's the doctor's job. But Paul goes and calls the sheriff. And this scene shocked the hell out of me. Yeah. Yeah. Because I did not expect it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, earlier when I mentioned like, you know, they, they have a few scenes where they're kind of developing these, like a little bit of a tension between the two male who you think are going to be the two male focal leads, you know, like uh, the bad boy and like the jock boyfriend. Um, and when you build up to the sequence and you really start to get the vibe that Paul is going to be like the Steve McQueen esque kind of character, even the way they styled him, you know, uh, very intentionally. So I believe, um, and as he's on the phone, you know, he's making the call and it, a phenomenally executed sequence, <laughs> He looks up and the blob is on the ceiling and it drops onto him. And what follows is breathtaking. (laughs) It is. Yeah. It falls on him and it just starts eating him or dissolving him. And um, Meg runs in and she sees like, it's just his face is like all like being overtaken by the blob. And she, she reaches out to grab his arm and she fucking rips his arm off. It, it is so violent. And like, oh my God. I, I remember I remember seeing this VHS cover in like Suncoast videos. I don't know if you had Suncoast. But um, uh, I remember seeing this VHS cover that has him at like the start of this progression of this. And I was always like traumatized by it. It becomes so violent and like the facial melting like because it's a yeah it's like acidic like the blob is like it's melting him down and because it's clear you see everything and it is just like mind-blowing this mind-blowing practical effect and her response is great like i said earlier her scream like she's such a good scream queen and oh such a good sequence yeah, and like I said, I I was this really shocked me because I did not expect the character of Paul to die that quickly and that violently. I think my jaw literally like dropped last night when I saw this because I really thought he was going to be a main character. He's a sweet guy, you know. He's set up to be her her uh, love interest, and then whew, all of a sudden he is he is dead. He's taken out. So. That was surprising to me. And it was something that this film, this film actually has a lot of balls because it, it, it goes places that, you know, I would not have expected as we'll dis- as we will discuss, you know, as we go on. Well, I mean, this whole sequence happens and she like gets knocked out. So it's like everyone's questioning poor sweet Shawnee Smith about like what happened. But like, <laughs> like there's an arm. <laughs> Well, okay, here, can, I, can we just stop right here? Because this is one thing I, the sheriff, they actually think someone yes. did this to him, like a person. They arrest Paul. I mean, like, to give credit where credit's due, I, what else, are you really going to come to the conclusion of, it's a, it, it's, it's a gelatinous substance. Like, I, it's, yes, this, this kid is sick to have disintegrated people, but... <laughs> <laughs> what other options do you have? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it was just, just kind of. Ch- I just chuckled because I'm like, okay, this, this sheriff really thinks a person like literally dissolved this kid and, and you know pulled his arm. I don't know. Yeah, it was just kind of funny. I just got a kick out of that because yeah, they're they're like they arrest Paul for this. They think he did it. Um, and in the meantime, the the blob escapes the hospital. Oh my god! And you have the character of. God, I can't remember. It's Scott, is it Scott? Uh, yeah, Scott. it might be Scott. Scott, Scott. yes. Oh, who's, we got it. I knew we'd bring it home. Who's played by Ricky Paul Gold? He's in the he's in the car with his date, Vicky. <laughs> this scene is so like cringe, especially yes. nowadays when we've had the Me Too movement and just like everything. I was like, this is really uncomfortable because he gets his this poor date like she's drunk. 
played by Ellie Mae Clampett, by the way, from the from the Beverly Hillbilly movie. <laughs> but she, um, he has this whole like mini bar set up in the, his trunk, like literally. It's great. <laughs> it's so of the era. <laughs> he has he has a, a hand mixer. He has all all your different vodkas, all your different you know. And he's she's already she, she's drunk, and so he yeah. gets back in the car and he basically starts to rape her. Yeah. I mean, it's going there. She is passed out and he's like, Oh, and he's talking to her. Like she's not passed out, which is even more cringeworthy. And I'm like, this is, this would not fly today at all. They would not. No, because he starts feeling her up and, and she's passed out. Well, but then he gets his, (laughs) he gets his comeuppance because yeah, but she gets hers too. It just is a victim. But like, it's again, it's so well executed that like, I'm like, okay, <laughs> like, shame on me, I guess, for going through that. You're right. Like very like difficult to watch, like molesty sequence for the sake of a kill. But I'm happy to see him get his because yeah, he's a creep. Um, but like the sequence, like when he looks down at her and like her face melts inward. Like, you know what I mean? Like, her face is like, and it's like, good soup. And then basically the blob, okay, so when he was making her drink, obviously the blob got in the car and overtook her body. So right as he's getting really rapey and really, like, starting to go there, it just, yeah, her face melts and the blob pops out of her boobs and it's like these tentacles that, like, suck him in and, like, you get this really uh, just effective scene of his foot, like, kicking out his window and it, then you see it get pulled down. It's just very violent and very aggressive. Yeah, yeah. You get a really good idea that the blob's strength, like you see a lot of sequences, like what you just said, of like bodies getting just like yanked, like like ragdolls. You know what I mean? Like when they show violence in this, they show it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, that scene is definitely cringeworthy for a lot of reasons. Mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, um... Uh, so uh, anyways um so the only person that's kind of like in any way um not i want to say i mean believing meg but like supporting meg after what she saw because she's convinced she saw this whole sequence of 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 her boyfriend getting melted down you know (laughs) by the block um the only person that's really like supporting her is is surprisingly brian who, though he's like a bad boy, he's also like got a heart of gold. Of course, he doesn't really he doesn't believe her at first. Remember, he she, she tracks him down, and um, he does, he's like, I don't want anything. He's like, leave me alone. You know, you're talking to me now. We've been in school together for how many years, and you've ignored me. And now that you need help, you want you expect me to, you know. But then she corners him in the restaurant, and and he's still very dismissive of her until she freaks out and like literally starts like crying, and he can tell that she's really upset. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You do see like a character arc there, like for him, that's really, um, I like it. I like that they took his character and they like change it and put, sent him in a direction of being like actually caring of her. Like, yeah, it takes her having a breakdown, but he knows that something happened and she's not just batshit, you know, because she is very much like dismissed by like everybody is, oh, you like bumped your head or something like that, you know? Um, but the whole sequence, everything that takes place in the diner, the lead up to basically the reveal of, of the blob with Candy Clark um, is another just great execution of sequences. Um, and, and I don't think you suspect that this is going to start hitting as hard and as fast as it does when it does. You don't because, yeah, it, it, it comes. I mean, once this movie starts, I mean, I would say from. Well, I mean, I would say from the scene when. Brian gets killed from that point forward. This movie is like at full throttle. Um, yeah. You never really know what's going to happen or what's, you know, what's going to happen next. But yeah, so they're in the restaurant and they're, the restaurant's closed. And I think it, like she, Franny is like, Oh, the, the sink is drained or clogged. So the, the um, cook comes into the back and tries to unclog the, the sink. And, you know, he's reaching his hand down there and he's pulling stuff out and Oh my God. It's just, <laughs> The blob is in the sink. It literally pulls this guy, this full-grown adult, into the fucking drain. Like, you see everything. You see his head, like, pop like a grape into the pipe. It is 
graphic. He also, I don't know if you noticed this, but like as a gay man, I did acknowledge that the actor has a great ass when his body gets flipped upside down and he's starting to go into the sink. Like his butt, I'm just saying, you might want to rewind it uh, for the sake of seeing it. Um, but yeah, I mean, what a violent sequence. Cause like everybody runs <laughs> and Candy Clark is screaming and you see like this guy's legs getting yanked into a, like a metal pipe and it is showing blood running on, down the metal and everything very violent. Yeah, it is. He is sucked that his, he is sucked down the drain and then the blob basically emer- like comes out of the drain, like shoots out of the drain onto the ceiling and starts like trying to attack them. So Meg and uh, Brian run into the freezer and poor Franny makes the mistake of running outside to the phone booth. But once Meg and Brian are in the freezer, they do get a, they do get a sense of one of the, like the weakness of the blob because they realize the blob does not like the cold because it begins to come into the freezer and then it like freaks out and, and leaves and it goes and finds poor, poor Franny in the phone booth. She's frantically trying to call the police and she gets a hold of the operator and she's trying to get the sheriff and, <laughs> oh my God, this scene. She gets the sheriff. Yes. She, she gets the sheriff. <laughs> One of the great little, um, little, uh, uh, like wings to the audience. I think that they throw here like that, like, Oh, this is not your grandmother's blob. Um, is you think there's this whole sequence, like the, the, the sheriff's playing kind of a prominent role. And you're really thinking like that members of the town are all going to be involved throughout the whole film. They did it with Paul and now they do it with the sheriff. Like, you get a great reveal where Franny looks over while she's on the phone and his body is floating there in the goo. And it was like, Oh yeah, no, he's, he's dead. He dead. You're about to die too. <laughs> yeah, The sheriff has been in the sheriff's face, like hits the phone booth and is like, his eyes are all like bugged out and it, yeah. And then the blob start, it's just really an intense scene because she's, tr- she, you know, she, it's so kind of, sad because she's on the phone help is there and the but the blob is like coming under the the phone booth and you think hey could she she maybe can try to stop it because she's holding the door pretty well but then all of a sudden the fucking glass just shatters and it just sucks her in and like it's obviously like a dummy effect but it's so violent it doesn't matter because like her body is just flung into this goo and like it's like it's it's so cool. It's so well done. It's one of my favorite sequences in the film, but there are many favorite sequences with this because it, it's kind of relentless with its like kill after kill after kill after effect after effect after effect. Um, but there's a lot of characters. Yeah. And I mentioned this is the scene that I had saw, you know, that I'd seen years ago, whenever, however I saw this, this is the, the, the phone booth scene was always the scene, the scene that I saw. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's highly effective, highly memorable. Um, yeah. But then you, so poor Candy Clark didn't last too long. Um, the kids are in the cooler. One thing I wanted to mention with that really quick is uh, the effects overall are pretty great, but there are a few green, like green screen effects that do read dated. Um, and I don't want to take anything away from the film because that's what they were doing at the time. I would love to see like this digitally corrected you know, because it's the one thing that like, in the sense of the effects uh, where we go with that, that uh, can like take you out of how impressive it is. You know what I mean? There are some, yeah, there are some, some scenes that look a little wonky and we'll talk about that because it's mainly in the, it's mainly in the yeah. kind of the final act that I think it. Yeah. I was thinking of this chase sequence that we just, you know, when they run to the cooler oh, and yeah, they're like yeah, running yeah, and they're yeah. looking over the yeah. shoulder. <laughs> But then they run out. They yeah. they get out of the cooler and they run into the woods to look for to look for the cop because they see his cop car. But in the meantime, that weird priest is like just walking down the street and he actually sees the blob, like yeah. or something like the blob, like coming out of the. It's in the alley, and again, yeah, I don't know what it is about these adults in this film because he doesn't really seem all that bothered by what he just saw. I mean he. He goes and investigates and he ends up finding like a frozen piece of the blobs and he picks it up. Um, and that's about the extent of it. <laughs> but you. Yeah. I mean, he's definitely a little batshit. I'll say that. 
Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, but so, um, meanwhile, like, you've kind of got, as this is all happening, you've had a few sequences of, like, the military aspect of this, which is one thing I think was actually kind of cool. It was very much like the time of, like, the era of E.T. and everything, but it's one thing that I think they very much modernized from the original film um, and did it in a very, like, um, hostile way. Like, I like this whole, like, the character, like, the, the, the lead villain who's wanting to secure the blob for like the military research because it is like actually like it's shown that it's a military uh creation you know um and they want to like use it they want to weaponize it and that character like that whole through story that starts to develop i wouldn't know if i would necessarily always be drawn into that sort of side story but in this film i enjoy it yeah well it it plays out Interestingly, because once they get into the woods, they, they, they become surrounded by all these guys in these um, like white hazmat suits. And the doctor, Dr. Meadows, is the mm-hmm. one that kind of tells them, hey, this is, you know, what this is. And um, so, yeah, it's a, it's a little bit of a unique twist on the, the, the film because the original version, the blob was just an, a creature from outer, outer space. So in this one, yeah, you're right. They did take the, they did take a twist and make it a biological weapon that was created, and then it was shot into space to get rid of it because they realized how powerful it was, and it just happened to get sent back down onto in, by this meteor, and it, that played well in the '90s because or the '80s because you know the whole Cold War thing. It made sense, um, and it kind of makes sense, you know, today seeing all those guys in those white hazmat suits was kind of a little jarring too because of you know the whole covid thing and yeah you know, exactly so i was like okay this is kind of timely even though you know it yeah yeah it it adds a, an element of budget to the film too like scale yeah and all i could think about when i saw dr meadows was oh my god that is the guy who played in the golden girls episode best friends that was sophia's best friend Oh my God. I, I cannot believe that you fucking thought of that. That's so random. I never would have even thought of that. God, I'll leave it to you, you old queen. <laughs> yeah, right. I love it. I love it. Yeah. Um, but so the, you've got these now, so you really develop these two kind of separate side stories. You've got the whole military side story going on. You've got Meg and Brian. I mean, I guess technically at times three stories because sometimes Meg and Brian split off. You know, they split off and have these different storylines. Um, but um, Meg finds out that her brother, um, uh, Kevin, and his friend Eddie, who who is kind of like a comedic relief, both young, both I'd say being played being played by roughly ten year old children, um, have snuck off to go watch a film called I believe like <laughs> it's, it's Garden Tool Massacre, Garden Garden Fucking Tool Massacre, um, which is wonderfully like included in the film at one point you actually see a moment of garden tool massacre and it's everything you could hope for um but so they've snuck off to the movie theater and meg is in a tizzy because she knows now that the blob is real so um you kind of uh, build up to this whole sequence where where meg is turning into what you're seeing as the female lead for a while she was being played very fragile and that doesn't last through the whole film. Yeah, no, she is um, turning into a badass. Yeah. yeah. Definitely. And, yeah, so she gets to the theater. Yeah, the two boys are watching the Garden Tool Massacre. And you can see, like, a film within a film for a few minutes, uh, which is kind of... And it's horrible. Yeah. <laughs> it's clever. It's clever. Because it starts, the scene they show starts with two couples make, or a couple making out, and you think it's, oh my God, this is another random couple in the woods that are out making out, but it's actually the movie they're watching um, with this crazy, stupid guy in it with a hockey mask and a, a, a chainsaw or something. It's kind of funny. But the blob gets into the theater, <laughs> like it's in the vent of the theater, and oh my God, it just starts going wild. 
everybody dies. Like one thing you cannot say about this movie is that it lacks body count because like you kill, you see like, first of all, the guy that like is running the, um, the projection booth, he like goes into the vent and he is like, at first you think it's like going to be like a lame ass, like pulled away and you don't see it. But then like, he has that yo-yo, that whole like yo-yo bit. And so um, the next, like the, the attendant comes in to be like, why haven't you started the movie yet? And the yo-yo drops down from the ceiling and rolls back up and he looks up and the man is like still alive and being like digested in the blob and he's like Ooh! and then the guy screams and the blob just is unleashed and it is phenomenal yeah it, it's that is a i mean it is phenomenal it's a it's a wonderful effect it's crazy it's gross um but then yeah and the blob gets loose in the movie theater and just starts like eating all of the patrons that are watching garden tool massacre Oh my god! And like at first, people think like people are screaming because it's the movie, but then they like realize like a man gets like pulled up to the ceiling. Like they don't hold back no. at all. There's this like a scene where like Shawnee Smith busts into the room and she's there to find her brother and his friend, and she's like running through the aisles and looking for her brother. And she's um, uh, and like a, a woman gets like pulled back. You see a shot of like this woman like laying on the ground and she gets pulled back and her face is like melted to the carpet and it's just so graphic and they just they don't hold back at all it's amazing if you're a gore hound you're going to be satisfied with this sequence so they they her she she and her brother and his little brother's friend basically they they're able to escape the the theater uh and the blob chases them into a sewer yeah, you remember how they they have to pull up the manhole and they go down um, as it's like coming for them. So yeah, they're chased into the sewer systems, um, and that <laughs> Doctor Meadows, because um, <laughs> he's so maniacal, uh, he decides to like <laughs> he decides that they have to be trapped down there because it's too dangerous. Uh, so like he's like leave them, and so they're trapped in the sewers trying to find a way out. Um, uh, and, and the blob is pursuing poor Shawnee Smith and these two children through, 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 uh, the sewers as they're trying to find an exit. And this is where something else that's pretty shocking happens because as they're escaping, the, the, the blob gets a hold of the friend. What's his name? Kevin. It's Kevin. We know. Uh, yeah. Kevin, Kevin is the friend. Um, yeah. No, no, no. Kevin is, I'm sorry. Kevin is the brother. Eddie is the friend. I get them confused because they're identical. <laughs> I thought they were her twin brothers at first. Right? Like they couldn't have picked two more like Aryan children. Like they're both so blonde. They look exactly the same. I'm like, oh, cool. She has twin brothers. And then it's like, oh, okay. They're sp- he's supposed to be her friend. Okay. Right. But basically... And this, again, as you pointed out, this, these actors are like 10 years old. <laughs> and the kid, as they're getting ready to escape, the blob literally grabs this kid and fucking dissolves him. Yeah, it's an amazing sequence where the kid is like pulled, like yanked back into the water. And Shawnee Smith like kind of goes to run after him. And all of a sudden, like, he is... I guess almost like teased. He's like, he's, he reappears in the water and he's like melted, but he's still alive. And it's just a, yes, it's a child. B again, phenomenal effect. So well handled. It's such a, 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 just a terrifying scene. And the blob, um, basically starts pursuing, um, Meg and, uh, Brian, or I'm sorry, Eddie, is it what 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 is the brother's name again? I, I get. I think it's Kevin. Kevin. It doesn't just call him Blondie because those two kids were so interchangeable. It wasn't. No, Brian is the name of the. There's so many like simple one like one syllable names. Brian. Brian is the Kevin Dillon the the mullet. Yeah, yeah. So um, uh, so Meg and her brother are being pursued up that pipe and like even though again this is kind of one of those um green screen effects that doesn't totally work like the uh, the overall effect for what the blob is and how it um develops is 
extremely well done. As it's getting bigger, you know? Well, and then, so, oh, in the meantime, Brian is, has kind of escaped the the woods because he over he overheard the the whole plan to like the doctor saying he doesn't really give a shit if everyone in the town dies that they just have to get this thing contained and because he doesn't want it dead blah 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 so brian gets away then he meets back up with um meg and they proceed to get now i'm trying to remember the sequence because they go i think they go back in this into the manhole Oh, so, so she's there, she's climbing up the pipe, and then uh, Doctor Meadows tries to shoot Brian. I know, like this, yeah, like gets like you know, Doctor Meadows actually tries to shoot Brian. Um, th- so they end up getting out of the sewer system. Well, yeah, because that's when the blob comes out of the water, and it kind of it looks like this giant like Venus flytrap vagina. <laughs> yes, it's very vaginal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so basically like at this point, the blob is big enough that it just isn't trying to hide anymore. No. Well, they get out of the, okay. They get out of the manhole because remember they find that sick, there's that guy that's one of the government workers and he's like, he's been, he looks like he's been attacked by the blob Yeah. and Brian takes his Uzi and shoots his way out of the manhole. That's how they get out. Yeah. There it is. They get back, they get out and they, once they're there, they try to. Uh, the, the doctor gets pulled into the doctor Meadows. Yeah, gets pulled into the manhole, and then they throw a bunch of bombs and stuff down there, thinking they're going to kill it, and they don't because it comes out of the manhole and it's like larger than it's ever been. It's the size of a goddamn house. Yeah, it basically like just starts. <laughs> I love this thing because it starts like just splatting people. Like a giant fly swatter, like literally just smashing them like it's a fly swatter. And people are going crazy, running around. It's just, This is a scene that's just crazy. Yeah. So, I mean, there are so many violent deaths in this sequence that it's almost like overwhelming because like nobody is spared because like like yeah this is the point where the blobby just reveals it, itself he's um i say he is though as a gender but um it, you know it's it's not needing to hide anymore because it's of such like a massive size it can't really be stopped and so um the sequence where dr meadows is like dragged into the sewer you know because he um uh he gets pulled back and he goes down and you actually see like the slime fill his mask super awesome sequence um, you just kind of see this sheer strength of this thing. Like it's very intimidating. And so a bunch of the characters and a lot of the townspeople are forced to retreat to the church and board themselves up within the church. And I really like this whole sequence of all the characters, like trying to work together. Um, but like, and the thing, the thing is like breaking, starting to break through and like pulling guys through who are being bent in half. Like it is violent from, the start of the sequence to the basically almost the end of the movie. Oh, it's insane. Yeah. The, uh, the Reverend gets caught on fire and Meg has to put him out the fire extinguisher. And in the meantime, she's kind of trying to, she's keeping the blob at bay with the fire extinguisher because it hates the cold. But yeah, they get into the, the church or whatever that building is and start trying to barricade themselves in. And the blob is like, you can see it's just like overtaking the whole front of the building. It's like crawling up and it's, and uh, the what the other cop gets pulled in and bent backwards like a goddamn sandwich. It's <laughs> it's like very reminiscent of the killing Jason Liz with the cop that gets bent and bent backwards. Yeah, that's what happens to this cop. He like literally is like pulled bent backwards and pulled out. And um, yeah, this this is just crazy. It's just like so much stuff is happening. Yeah, yeah, and they do a really good job of building up to this just really grand climax. Um, involving Meg, like really who is already at this point been a badass, kind of evolving to just like a, and I used the term earlier, but almost like a Ripley-like t- like heroine taking on this like alien form. And she's in like a, she's in like a, like a little white top with like lace on it, like with a big gun, like firing at this blob. And it's just like, you see this character transformation. It's really enjoyable to watch, at least for me. Um, she's played as just a very likable character. I wrote, yeah, my note is it just Meg turns into a badass. I mean, she 
She runs out to try to save Brian, even though the blob is out there. She gets the gun. She gets, she's just, yeah, she turns very Ripley-esque. Not as extended, but it's, it's a good scene. Um, yeah, Brian crashes into the blob and they, this whole sequence is just, they end up blowing the blob up with like liquid nitrogen, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, that truck, the, the truck like has turned on its side, remember? And then they end up, because they had seen earlier in the cooler when it's exposed to ice or cold, it responds, you know, like it, it was it, like, that's the one thing that got to retreat. So um, you know, Meg thinks fast and uh they managed to blow up that um that tanker, like you know, that turned over t- tanker, and it does the fucking trick, man. That's that's the key. It does, it blows the blob up and it basically starts snowing. <laughs> so and they think the blob is 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 dead, and you think everything is is happily ever after. Yeah. And it is until you get this crazy, you know, scene that just comes out of nowhere where you're like all of a sudden after it's snowing and, and people are all excited because, oh, my gosh, no, we, we, we wanted snow. We told you it was going to snow and it, it's blob snow, but hey, it's still snow. <laughs> you get this really interesting scene then that comes out of nowhere where you're like at this church in like the middle of the country. It's like one of those really old school, like out in the middle of nowhere churches and the reverend is preaching and it ends up being the reverend from the film. Yeah. Like half his face is like burnt off and he's preaching about the apocalypse and about the coming of Christ and how the world's going to end. And he goes after his little sermon and he opens his little medicine cabinet thing and he still has that piece of the blob. Yeah. Oh, and there's like that, that woman who's like, tell me, reverend, when will it come? And he's like, soon, child very soon or whatever he says and he like and then it like it's such a maniacal ending totally unexpected but um loved it like it's the perfect tone for the rest of the movie i love that they ended it on that like totally like unexpected note um but overall man like god what a fun popcorn flick like you don't get creature features very often anymore or body horror you know like no you don't and this is a great combination of both. It really is. I I will say I had a blast with this film. Uh, and it's, I think that there are a lot of fans of this film um, yeah. based on, you know, my just like posting that I was watching it. It seems like I was surprised at how many people commented saying that they love this film and it's one of their favorites. Because mm-hmm. again, it goes back to the fact that I don't really ever hear this film talked about. Yeah. And I don't know why. It's never even, you know what, even when people do, because you see this all the time, even when people like horror sites or, or horror groups or whatever, when people talk about like, what are your, what are the best remakes ever? I never even see this one mentioned. And for at least the horror genre, I definitely think when it comes to remakes, this is absolutely on my top 10. Absolutely on my top 10. So, um, I would agree. I would agree. Uh, it's I, I'm surprised. I'm just surprised it hasn't really it doesn't really get the love that it deserves because if you it, it really is a blast from beginning to end. It has everything that you really could ask for in a horror film. Um, it has great great characters, uh, great gore, great practical effects, lots of just fun tense chase scenes, um, a over the top climax. It's just. It's so fun. It's so fun. No, yeah. I think um, I think at the end of the day, what the blob does really well is it takes, um, like, and I, I kind of used this term a little bit earlier, but like a, a product of an era, and they completely update it for a new era. Like it's very much an '80s film, but it has a lot of the vibe. And the tone of the 50s film, like it, it doesn't stray too far from the source material. It just retells the story um, for, for a new time period. And it does it just you know, really well. It updates the characters in really cool ways. It it's like kind of flips some of the gender norms and everything. Um, and it just feels very much a product of the 80s. And, and I adore it. I think it's just wonderful. And um, yeah, we've got to make sure that <laughs> fans of body horror 
and sci-fi horror are made savvy to this film. If you know friends who have not seen it, I would highly recommend you show it off because like I said, compared to most films of that era, aside from maybe The Thing, I can't think of anything that does this kind of scale of practical effects as well as this yeah, movie. Yeah, I totally agree. I had a blast with it. And it's a shame that the film was kind of a box office bomb, but I feel like it has gotten a lot of, it's gotten a following and a lot more respect since it's, since it's release. It's, it's like one of those films that generally, like when a horror film comes out and it doesn't do very well, uh, or the critics bash it when it first comes out, but then over time it gets a, a kind of a much better reputation. I think that's this film, although it doesn't have like, say, the following or the respect of like The Thing, which was another film that when it first came out was bashed by critics and was a box office bomb. Um, but now it's thought of, as, as we've mentioned, as being one of the films with the best practical effects ever made. So time, I think time has been good to this film, um, even though at the time it came out, it wasn't, you know, received very well. I think time has been good to this film. So, yeah. Definitely check it out if you have not seen it. It's a it's a lot of fun. So yeah, that's the blob, Roger. I really am so glad that you picked this because, like I said, I don't think I never I wouldn't have ever watched this. I don't think uh, because a I'm generally not a fan of like science fiction type horror or body horror, just not my thing. So I probably wouldn't have watched this, but I'm so glad I did because I can see myself revisiting this one. Yeah, so. it's funny they managed to take like I mean. The blob itself, like, isn't when you think of it as a villain, as an mm-hmm. as an entity, it's uh, it's not how do you make that like iconic, but like this film does it in a way where it doesn't feel exactly like the exact same thing it was in the original. It's very much its own take on that like substance. Um, it, it just makes it something completely unique. And like I mentioned earlier, really, like kind of coming full circle with this, like there is no set texture to this thing there is you don't really know what it is but as it should be it's an alien substance not i mean it's not alien from outer space but it's like you know a specimen that's been created um and so like it should have that kind of uh, you can't predict it factor um and and this movie does that really well it just plays it up so well and yeah it's great Uh, highly recommended so happy we watched it i'm really glad that you liked it I did. I did. So that brings us to our next episode. And uh, this is one I'm going to pick. I, one of my picks. And that, well, you know, we, we asked for, we always ask for um, suggestions and somebody did message me with a suggestion of a film that we should cover. Okay. But we will, but not Max. Ooh, I feel so popular. <laughs> Yeah, right. No, it's just one. But it'd be an it'll be an interesting film to cover. I'll tell you what it is after the you know. But the film that I want to cover next is kind of from my favorite subgenre, and that's 80 slashers. But it's one that since we are two homos, has a very gay aspect to it that I guess some gays have found problematic. Mm-hmm. Now, because of the way it's portrayed, it's sort of like Sleepaway Camp, where there's a section of there's a lot of gay gay individuals, trans individuals that that find Sleepaway Camp to be very problematic because of the betrayal of the the, the character of, of Angela. Yeah, yeah. To me, I mean, I don't want to get into that because I don't want to offend anybody, but that's a whole conversation if we ever cover that movie that I think would be very interesting to dive into. Yeah, another one that with a similar vibe is Dressed to Kill. Dress to kill exactly. So this is another one that has a a gay theme that runs through it that now apparently is seen as problematic by some. So I really want to revisit it because I haven't watched it for a while and I want to revisit it through that lens of what what how is this problematic if I even find it problematic. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. I I like that uh, that approach to it. Um, and yeah, no, let please let me know what it is. The film is Hide and Go Shriek from 1987, directed by um, Skip Schoolnick, who I think worked on one of the films we've already covered in the past, Slaughter High. Oh, coming full circle. But it's, it's a slasher. It's 
about a group of kids who spend their an, an evening in a furniture store and there is a killer that is that is loose. But like I said, have you ever seen it, Roger? Um, Liz, I've seen I haven't seen the whole movie, but I have a distinct memory of a sequence, at least watching one sequence with the one female lead in like the blue button up. I remember like and she has her hair like very 80s, like up like it's i remember the visual of it of her getting chased but like honestly it's not something i even really remember it wasn't even a full i don't think i watched the full thing i just watched a chunk of it oh girl oh girl you thought that uh hello mary lou prom night two had some big hair just wait till you see this one this one is total 80s fashion 80s hair i've always enjoyed this movie i just find it it's interesting as a slasher film for a lot of reasons because it does break a lot of slasher conventions. But again, I, I guess recently I've just started reading and seeing, you know, online that people do find the film problematic because of the killer. And so I, like I said, I'm very interested in revisiting the, this with you since we are two gay men to see how we react to this film now looking at it from a different perspective because I never, because I saw this film when I was a teenager. I mean, I've always known I was gay. Okay. Of course, but like I never would watch a film and, and think that if there was a gay character that it was problematic yeah. somehow, I just didn't, it didn't register with me. My mind wasn't there yet, but now that I'm more aware, I do want to watch this film again. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. I'm, I'm, I'm excited. I, I think that it is the perfect uh, follow-up to the blob um uh, you know blob is so sci-fi i i'm ready to just see some classic slash them up teenage fodder bloodshed i think it's just just what i needed so um i think you will really get a kick out of this movie for a lot of different reasons and but again i'm really interested in hearing your perspective on the the gay element of the film yeah 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 exciting so next week, or tune in to our next episode when we discuss Hide and Go Shriek. Yeah, and I think at this pace, I almost feel like it is going to be next week because I feel like we're in a groove. We're moving and grooving here at Dark Knight of the Podcast. All right, man. Well, that was a pleasure. I'm happy you liked it. Can't wait to chat with you next time. And uh, until then, to our faithful uh, fans, thank you so much for tuning in and send us your recommendations. We will absolutely review them. Have a good night. Bye.